It's so encouraging that God is using our church to just reach generations for Christ, families that need extra encouragement. And you hear a story like that, and it's easy to have compassion for families who are going through a hard time. It's easy to have compassion for those who've been touched by unique needs, special needs. But it's a lot more difficult to have compassion for people who are hard to love. It's a lot more difficult to have compassion for those who've hurt us or don't agree with us or we don't agree with them or to have compassion for people that uh, participate in something that we just um, you know, intensely are opposed to. We all have to wrestle with a lack of compassion for certain people in certain situations in life. You know, I look back over my life, and I remembered a, a lesson that God taught me on that that was very significant. I was a young man in ministry, just a young buck, and uh, I was serving at this church in California, and we were in a team meeting, a staff meeting, and our pastor asked the team, who is someone that you have a hard time having compassion for? And so we went around the room and were sharing our answers, and when it came to me, just because at that time, I had no idea of the complexities behind it, I said, I have a hard time having compassion for those who struggle with homosexuality. Because in my mindset at the time, people just chose it. That, that was just it. And so about a month later, I was at this youth ministry conference. It was a couple thousand students. And at the end of the conference, there was an opportunity for teenagers to come forward to give their life to Christ. And so uh, what they did is they had all the men line up on one uh, wall uh, leading the way out by the exit doors and all the women uh, counselors on the other wall. And they had the, about 200 kids that would just come through the exit doors that made a decision. And we just got randomly paired up with you know, guys with guys, girls with girls, and went out to the football stadium to just sit and hear more about why these kids came forward. So I was against the wall. This young man I'd never seen before comes up. We, know, we start walking together. We go out to the football stadium. We're getting to know each other. And I sit down and say, well, why did you come forward tonight? And he says, I want to give my life to Christ. I said, that's exciting. And then he said this. He goes, but I don't think Jesus wants me. I said, why do you think that? He goes, because I think I'm gay. I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> you got a way of coordinating things, you know? And in that moment, I just said, well, tell me more about that. And then he just started unpacking his story, a horrific story. He talked about how he was a, a little boy and he walked in on his mom having an affair with another man. He, he saw everything. And that just broke something in him. That just traumatized him in a way that still haunted him to that, to that day. And then shortly after that, he was at a function with family and other people. And a couple boys had taken him behind a building and molested him. And so as he went into middle school and high school, he, he wasn't finding himself attracted to girls, no wonder, right? And so, of course, other kids were keying in on that. They started calling him every name that they could call him, you know, to offend his sexuality. And so here he was, sitting in this football stadium with me, broken and confused, and just believing the world's lie that, you know, with, when it comes to gender identity, it's like, hey, just go with your feelings. That's what's true to you. And we just know that's that that's not our truth. Our experience isn't our truth. And so I sat there, and in that moment, in that football field, on that day, God gave me compassion. He gave me compassion for this young man. He gave me compassion for the boys and the girls and the men and women that were walking that road and had, had an experience that I had no idea what it was like. He gave me compassion for that guy. You know, last week we were asked by Pastor Joe about what made us mad and to recognize that God might be working something in us that we were made to connect with those people we struggled with. Let me revisit this theme and dig even deeper. Who do you have a hard time having compassion for? 
Who is it that you find a hard time summoning in your heart levels of compassion for those people? Maybe it's the man holding a sign for a handout. Maybe it's the rich person who thinks that they have everything. Maybe it's the alcoholic. Maybe it's those who are addicted to drugs. Maybe it's the one selling the drugs to those who are addicted. Maybe it's the person who had an abortion, or maybe it's the one who performed the abortion. Maybe it's the person who votes red, the person who votes blue. Maybe it's young adults, old adults. Maybe it's ethnic. And because of the, based on the color of someone's skin, you have yourself having a hard time having compassion. Do you have a hard time having compassion for the terrorist? We can go on and on and on, but the point is there are people out there that we struggle to feel compassion for. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves today. We need to say, is a heart that feels no compassion aligned with God's heart? Is a heart that feels no compassion aligned with God's heart? And today we're going to wrap up this book of Jonah. And for those of you who haven't been there, and just for a review, for those of you who have, God called this man to travel 500 miles away to preach repentance to Nineveh up in northern Iraq. And this is a large and ancient city full of ruthless and barbaric people who would violently oppress his people, the Israelites. And so Jonah decided instead that he was going to take a journey 2,500 miles the other direction. How many of us have learned by now that sometimes it takes us more effort to disobey God than to obey God when you look at that picture? How many of you know that when God says, just speak truth, it takes more effort to say lie after lie after lie to cover up the original lie and just instead of speaking truth? How many of you have learned by now that it takes more energy to harbor a grudge than to forgive? It takes more effort than just to do things the way God said to do it the first time. But Jonah decided to learn it the hard way like many of us, right? And so then we see the rest of the story unfold as this man gets on a boat to run away from God. And then there's a storm. Then there's a man overboard. Then there's a giant fish rescuing Jonah from drowning. Then you got Jonah in the fish having a conversation with God where he's getting his mind and heart right a little bit better. And then we have the fish vomiting Jonah out on the shore. Now he's ready to go. And so he goes to Nineveh. He preaches repentance. Hey, look, get your act together or God's going to destroy you. We all know inside Jonah's heart, he's hoping they don't. But they do. They do. They get their heart right with God. And that picks us up where we're going to be today. So open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Fire up those Bible apps to Jonah chapter 4. If you do not own a Bible and you're sitting here today or you're online, uh, try to find one as a Bible app. But if you're here, uh, go to our information center and we'll give you one for free. But let's pick up the very last verse of Jonah 3.10 before we enter into Jonah 4, Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did, the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. How many of you experienced God's grace because you repented of something that you were in, right? And so God's uh, relented of the disaster. Now let's see what happens, Jonah 4.1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. 
And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. What did he want to have happen to the city? Destruction. He wanted a front row seat. I'm going to get myself out of the city, out of range. I'm going to set up a little tent here. I'm going to watch because I want to see Sodom and Gomorrah take two. I want to see destruction rain down, but God's not bringing it. It's interesting because we could have closed the book of Jonah 3. Jonah goes, he preaches, the Ninevites repent, close the book, we're done. But he gives us Jonah 4 because no longer is there a problem with Nineveh now. Now we've got a problem with Jonah. His heart is not aligned with God's heart. He has no compassion for the Ninevites. He wants to see him destroyed. And the sick irony here is that the hypocrisy of Jonah's heart is so evident. Because when you turn back to Jonah chapter 2, you've got a guy that does not deserve God's grace, does not deserve God's mercy. He's in the stomach of a fish, wrestling with God, asking for mercy. God gives it to him, and he gets it, and he's happy. But then you turn forward two chapters, and here you are in Jonah chapter 4, and he's seeing other people get mercy, and now he's not happy with it. And he throws a little two-year-old tantrum, right? He has a fit. Why? Why is Jonah having a hard time with what God is doing? Why did Jonah think it was evil that God received the Ninevites' repentance? It's because Jonah's compassion had become dull, and it wasn't there. And what dulled it first was self-righteousness. Jonah was being self-righteous. Jonah had lost sight of how disobedient he was. He just looked at these barbaric Ninevites. He looked at these sadistic killers and said, they don't deserve God's mercy. But me, on the other hand, I do. See, I'm an Israelite. I'm I'm from a persecuted people. And so I deserve God's grace. I deserve God's mercy. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a religious people. We've got God's law, so I deserve it. But those Ninevites, they don't deserve it. And now he's making a judgment call spiritually. And Jonah's declaring that he deserves God's mercy, but the Ninevites don't. You know, aren't you glad we're not made right with God because of our spiritual lineage or spiritual activity or spiritual works? None of that makes us right with God. Only God can make us right with himself. And he made that available through relationship with Jesus Christ. And so uh, Jonah's looking here and he's, he's counting the wrong factors involved. In fact, it's a good reminder, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Say this next part with me. It is the gift of God. Man, to be made right with God is a gift, to be given freely and received freely. Verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may, what? Was Jonah boasting? Yeah, in his spirit. In his spirit, because In efforts to tear the Ninevites down, he was raising himself up. They don't deserve it, but I do. And so what was doling the compassion in Jonah's heart was self-righteousness. Aren't you glad that God's compassion is for all? That God's mission to reach the lost means God has compassion to reach all of the lost. So we need to look at Jonah, because sometimes when we read the book of Jonah, it's like looking through a window. And we're looking through and going, look at Jonah, and look at God, and look at the lessons we can learn. But sometimes reading Jonah is like looking in a mirror. We all have a little bit of Jonah in all of us. We all all have a little bit of self-righteousness in all of us. And so where have you raised yourself up above others 
because of you name it, the color of your skin, because of the size of your bank account, because of your sense of morality, or because you think your bank of good works has more deposits than other people? Where has self-righteousness snuck into your heart and dulled compassion to the point that you now actually believe? Some of you are sitting here believing that some people in this world should not be forgiven of God's and receive God's grace or mercy. There are people in this world that he should not save. And that if he did save them, you may actually find yourself mad. And when we look at that, it means that we have forgotten just how much of a sinner we are. Because now we're focusing on someone else's sin and not our sin. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself, but I don't know about you, but it's so easy to focus on other people's sin and not your own. And that's what Jonah's doing here. And what's so interesting is some of you might be sitting here going, I don't know, I I feel like I'm really compassionate. I feel like what you just said doesn't apply to me, that if God saves whoever, whenever, I mean, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, I really believe that. Well, let's just work a scenario to weigh our hearts in that matter, just to make sure that we're on the same page, that our hearts are aligned with God's heart. Let's take the man that just ran over dozens of people in New York last week. He's a radical terrorist. He's getting justice, rightfully so. But what if, he had a genuine change of heart. What if he came to a place of absolute, genuine, authentic remorse for what he did? What if today in a prison cell, he hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and he authentically uh, authentically repents, gives his life to Christ and receives God's mercy and grace in our life? How would you feel? Would you feel angry about that? Would you feel confused by that? Would you feel grateful for that? I've got thoughts about that. I don't like what they are. It's so easy to forget that we're sinners who've received grace. And it's the same grace that everybody can have if they truly come to the Lord. Jonah had become dull in having compassion because self-righteousness had rooted in his heart. So he didn't have compassion on them. So we don't want to be the same. Let's ask God to purge any self-righteousness in our hearts, to allow our hearts to align with his, to give us his compassion for others. And so we see that self-righteousness had dulled Jonah's compassion, but that wasn't the only thing at play. There was something else going on in Jonah's heart. Resume with me, Jonah chapter 4, look at verse 6. Jonah's sitting out here. He's got his little tent he made. He's waiting for destruction. He's upset. God's about to use an object lesson with him. Verse six, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. This is a supernatural work, right? God's miraculously having this plant grow overnight that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. He's in the Middle East. That's a hot sun, right? And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Isn't he like emotionally bipolar? (laughs) He's mad. Oh, plant. Oh, now I'm happy. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. This guy's like a drama king, right? full-blown two-year-old tantrum. And the Lord said, you pity the plant 
for which you did not labor, you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And now you have the conclusion of the only book in the entire Bible that concludes with a question mark. Leaves you kind of restless. Doesn't resolve it in a moment. Should I not have compassion? What's the deal with the plant? It's revealing that not only is Jonah's heart one that's suffering from self-righteousness, but also self-centeredness. Jonah's very self-centered. And as Jonah was sitting there in the hot Middle Eastern sun, stewing in his front row seat for what he hoped would be the destruction of Nineveh, God had this plant grow up and cast shade to cool him off, and now Jonah's happy. Then God kills the plant and sends more heat. Now Jonah's mad. He's saying it's better to die. What a, what a, what a mess, right? And God calls him out on this and says, do you really think you have a right to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, yes. All of a sudden, he feels entitled to a plant that didn't even exist the day before. Have you ever found yourself upset because you lost something that you felt entitled to that you had no part of making happen? We all go there. I was flying back to visit uh, family and friends in California last year. It was during the time of the basketball finals. It was, I think, the third or fourth game with the Cavs and the Warriors, all right? So all of us in waiting in line for the plane knew we were going to miss the game, except for some of us who went ahead and paid the 10 bucks so we could watch it on our device. But while we're sitting there in line for the plane, all of a sudden the lady announces, hey, how many of you are Warriors fans? Like one person, hey. We're like flying into San Francisco. I think that person was significantly outnumbered. How many of you are Cavs fans? Everybody, yeah, you know. And so we boarded the plane, and we're, we're getting on the plane. The game's going to start in an hour. So about an hour into flight, everyone's starting to get on their screens to find the game. And you start to hear this murmuring. And I was like, ah, and you can hear it. Can you find it? No. Can you find it? No, I can't find it. We're all looking on the screens, looking. Well, she made that announcement. They wanted to give us the game for free. What they didn't realize was that their entertainment system didn't support the channel. Everybody got mad. Everybody was like, oh, free game, yeah. And then when they're on the plane, now they're like, oh, I can't believe it. That's just so wrong. I'm like, it was a free game that you had nothing to do with, and it was given to you. Now you can't have it, and now you're mad. And the dude in front of me comes unglued, man. This guy is not happy. He's cussing. He's mad. I listened to four hours of grumbling from this guy. He finally does the same thing I did. He, he pulls up his iPad and he downloads the game and he's watching the game. He's still grumbling every now and then. I've got like five people behind me leaning over the seats for like watching the game. This is a great time. The plane lands four hours later. This dude stomps off the tarmac, goes right up to the little desk outside the gate and the poor lady behind it demands a refund to be reimbursed for what he spent on watching the game on his own device. <laughs> You're a piece of work, buddy. <laughs> We're that guy. And God brings things into our life we had nothing to do with. And then they go away, and then we're all been out of shape about it. And Jonah was all upset about this plant, and God starts to unpack the meaning of this plant. Jonah, you didn't put a seed in the ground. You didn't put any water on this thing. You didn't have anything to do with its growth. And so this plant's revealing just how self-centered Jonah is. He's happy when he's comfortable. He's happy with God when he's comfortable. He's mad at God when he's not. I hope I'm not stepping on toes. 
Because we can be those people that we're happy with God when it's all good. One thing goes wrong, oh, it's God. He's the fall guy. And all of a sudden, we feel entitled to whatever it is. But in reality, there's self-centeredness that's going on in our heart. And Jonah is found here to be more concerned about his comfort than the condition of the souls of people within visual range. Let me just say that again. Jonah has found himself to be more consumed with being comfortable than with the souls of the people within visual range. Are you feeling me? Do you understand what I'm saying here? And so God will allow these plants, if you will, to come into our life to reveal how self-centered we can be. What plant, if you will, has God allowed to grow up in your life and maybe has removed it to reveal self-centeredness? What, what transitions in your life have you had to come face to face with how selfish you can be? Like, let's think about it. Friendships can teach us how selfish we are. Marriage is a beautiful thing. You want to learn how selfish you are? Get married. This is a lesson you learn real fast. Like, oh, I didn't know I was that selfish. Kids, beautiful. You'll learn how selfish you are. What is it that God can bring into your life to reveal how self-centered you can be? Could we also be guilty of caring more about our comfort than the souls of the people around us? We look, at, we look at Jonah and we go like, he got all bent out of shape about a plant, but there's 120,000 people who will go to hell right in front of him and he doesn't care. Could we be guilty ever of caring more about the landscape in our home than the neighbors that live next to us that don't know Christ? Could we ever be guilty of being more uh, about the stuff in our garage and our basements the nations out there who don't have a Bible, that they can't, they can't even read the word of God. Can we be more about our own comfort than the next generation who needs to know Christ? No, we need God's compassion. We need God's compassion to root out that self-centeredness, to root out that self-righteousness. When you look at verses uh, 10 and 11, look at those. When the Lord said, you pity the plant, the word pity there is, is the Hebrew word hus. It means to look upon with compassion. That's why some versions will translate it, compassion. Jonah, you had compassion on this plant. Shall I not have compassion on 120,000 people that they're so morally and spiritually bankrupt, they don't know the right hand from the left hand, and there's a bunch of cattle there. It's like, what's with the cows? That's kind of funny, you know? I think it's like one of those reminders, like our God loves all creatures. He created all creatures. Matthew 10 tells us that a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without the father knowing. And it's almost like God's telling Jonah, can you just summon enough compassion for the cows if you can't have it for the people? And so we have major heart surgery that God is doing here on Jonah. And so we look at him and we realize a sign that we are aligned with God, that we're lovers of Christ, is that his compassion is in our hearts. Are we more concerned with that which is temporary the plants in our life, if you will, than the souls of the people around us? Shall we not have God's compassion for the unreached near and far? Shall we not look with compassion upon our neighbors all over Northeast Ohio? Shall we not look with compassion upon the nations who don't know Jesus? Shall we not look with compassion upon the next generations who don't know Christ? The message I want you guys to really grab a hold of today it's the fact that God wants his compassion in our hearts. And so let's pray about that. I encourage you to add this prayer to your life, even starting today. God, give me your compassion for others. 
Because if God's going to give us that compassion for others, it will start to root out that self-centeredness. It will start to root out that self-righteousness. God, give me your compassion for others. Would you just say that with me? God, give me your compassion for others. I encourage you to make that part of your daily prayer life. Because you know what? There's people out there that need God's compassion to come through us. And heaven knows there are times when we need other people's compassion upon us as well. You know, the teenager that I mentioned earlier, that young man that God gave me compassion for, we ended up having a great talk. We talked about God's grace. We talked about God's love. We talked about God's mercy. We talked about God's design. We talked about the love of the Lord. It was a joy for me to sit there in that football stadium as this young man asked Jesus to come into his life and be his savior. That was a joy. I have no idea what happened to that young man. It's my heart and hope that he's walking with Christ, that he continues to experience new life with Christ. But the point is, we have to come to a place of compassion. You know, some of you are in that same place right now that he was. You know you need Christ in your life. You've tried religion. You've tried to do works. You've tried to do your own thing. And you just keep coming up against this distant relationship with God. You know you need Christ, but something's prevented you. I hope today that you've heard loud and clear about the heart of God, that he is, as this chapter tells us, a gracious God and merciful, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. One who loves sinners. We're basically in one of two groups in this room, and those watching online. We're either sinners who realized the love of Christ, and we've given our lives to him, and we're following him, or we're still left to figure that out. And for those who are left to figure that out, today could be the day that you give your life to the Lord, that you embrace the relationship he's offering you. And if that's the case, I encourage you just to talk to God. And you can just tell him three things. You can just pray and tell him, I confess, I believe, I receive. That's it. I confess I'm a sinner. I confess I'm lost. I confess I'm broken and I need you. I believe. I believe in your love for me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave. I believe that you have a plan for my life. And right now I receive Jesus as my savior and I commit my life to following him. And if you do that today, we want to know so that we can help you grow in your new walk with the Lord. And so if you come to relationship with Christ today, take out your response card in your program or grab the response card in front of you and just mark in that section there that you have given your life to Christ. Turn it into the baskets that we're going to pass around in a little bit. We want to get in touch with you to help, to help you grow in your new relationship with Jesus. For those of you who already know Christ, maybe God wants to do deep business in your heart. A little bit of a heart procedure today. Maybe today you realize there's been some self-righteousness and self-centeredness that's been you know, killing compassion in your heart. I encourage you just to have a time of praying and repentance today. Lord, you know my heart. You know I've become self-righteous. You know I've become self-centered. Lord, reduce that in my life. Eliminate it from my life. Give me your compassion for others. I encourage you, spend that time with the Lord. Walk out of here with a different intensity of compassion for the people that God will put in your path. Now, as far as the faith family here at CVC, there are a lot of ways that we express our compassion for others. But the specific effort that we've talked about taking on for the next two years is this Unleash initiative. And so just a reminder of what we're trying to do. And if you're a guest today, we just want you to hear it. Just hear our heart as a church. But if you call CVC home, let's talk about what we're doing right now. We want to unleash ourselves from our mortgage debt so that 
we can better reach our neighbors in Northeast Ohio by saving some money and planting a campus in the next two years to better reach people who can't make it to 77 and Wallings. We also are going to be translating a Bible in a language of an island that we've adopted in Indonesia, an unreached group. And so we're translating a Bible for Pearl Island, the solely people. And also, we are wanting to eliminate that mortgage debt so that we can start to dedicate more funds to ministry, especially ministry that's going to impact the next generation. We don't want to strap them with debt. We want to free up more resources to impact them. That's what we're doing. And in order to do that, we're looking to raise $2 million in two years or less time. And so Unleash, we need to understand, is not about money. It's about mission. It's the compassion of God stirring us up for his mission. Don't forget what the mission of Jesus was. He told us, Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's the mission of Jesus. And he's invited us into that mission to seek and save the lost. And so that compassion will motivate sacrifice. Are we willing to give of ourselves sacrificially for that which God gave of himself sacrificially? the souls of others. And so compassion will motivate sacrifice. And when God's compassion comes into our life, be careful what you pray, because when you say, God, give me your compassion for others, it's going to touch your heart. It's going to touch your calendar. It's going to touch what you do with your hands, your feet, your mouth. It's going to touch your relationships. And it's going to touch our money, because it takes money to make mission happen. But it's not about the money. It's about the mission. And so we have this heart of sacrifice that we want to take on together. It's an undertaking. You know, I've been thinking about this concept of undertaking, and I remember a story that a friend recently told me that happened in the 80s. There was a man named Herman Ostry. He lived on a farm just outside of Bruno, Nebraska. And what happened was this barn, and we're not talking about a little shack. We're talking about like Bob Evans' barn, okay? This barn was on a low uh, plain, so it was always marshy and wet and, and just a, a problem. And every now and then a local creek would flood and flood the barn, you know, 20 inches of water, and they'd have to fix everything. So he looked into getting the barn moved, but the cost of moving the barn was outrageous. He couldn't do it. So one night at dinner, the family was talking, and he just jokingly said, let's just get a bunch of people together and just move the barn, ha, ha, ha. Well, his son Mike went, huh, what if that's possible? So Mike went down, measured the barn, measured all the wood, measured the dimensions. He said, if we were to rig this thing up with some metal handles all the way around, inside and outside, how much would the metal weigh? And he estimated this barn would be just under 20,000 pounds. And he thought, if we can get like 350 people to all pick up about 50 pounds or more, we could actually pick up the barn and move it. And so they made the plan. And so all of a sudden, they had several hundred people show up on this day back in the 80s to move this barn. And they had you know, news stations and thousands of local you know, people from local communities show up to see what happened. What happened? Let's watch. There were 328 of us lifting this barn. Okay, everyone all together slowly and steadily lift. There she goes! picked up a barn. 344 people moved that barn 
150 feet up a 16-foot slope to higher ground and set it down. There were people inside the barn, outside the barn. There was young and old, tall and short. There were little kids. There were, you know, older adults. You saw some guys, one hand, some people, you know, totally like, you know, deadlifting this thing. Everybody just grabbed a piece and moved what they could. Guys, as a church family, we're doing a lot more uh, than moving a barn, something much more significant than moving a barn. We're moving a vision that God has given us to reach more people for Christ. And we want to do this together as a family. And so we're asking you all just to grab a piece of the vision and carry. That's what this commitment card is all about. This is why we put this commitment card in your hands for weeks and weeks and weeks now, saying, would you pray over this? Would you ask God, what over and above my regular giving can I sacrifice to move a vision? And so by filling out this card as a church member and and, and turning it off and saying, this is my two-year commitment to this endeavor, that's your way of grabbing a piece of the vision and carrying it. And we want to journey together as a family. We want the whole family involved. For those of you that have families and you take family trips, it's so disappointing, so dissatisfying if you've got a family of five and only two or three people make the trip. And you want everybody in the car for those trips. This is a, this is a family journey. We want everybody in, everybody involved, everybody contributing to what God is doing. Now, before going into our commitment time, I just want to tell you where we're at. We're trying to raise $2 million in two years. To date, with some pre-commitments that have come in, we already have committed just under a million dollars. We're 49% there already. We haven't even fully launched with the rest of the family yet. And uh, by the way, the commitments have only been given by 12.6% of regular givers. That's a huge commitment for just 12% of our family. So imagine today with 88% of us saying, okay, it's my turn now to grab a hold. It's my turn to help lift. What is God going to do with us today? So I'm looking forward to that. What's our next significant date? Our next significant date is going to be in two weeks, November 19th. That's going to be Celebration Sunday, where I'm going to share with you the total committed to date. And also, it's going to be our very first Unleash kickoff offering. I've been asked by some people, like, well, when do you want the first Unleash offering? I'm like, well, some people are already giving now, but in two weeks, come and bring your extra Unleash offering, and we're looking to give the largest offering in the history of our church on one Sunday, just to kick this thing off and show that God is going to do something great and amazing. We absolutely believe He can do that. So that's where we are. We're motivated by God's mission to reach the lost. God's compassion is driving us, his compassion for others. And this isn't all play. The adult congregation, the students, and the children in our ministries. In fact, I just wanted you to take a couple minutes to hear from some of our students and from some of our young families about how they're engaging Unleashed. So let's watch what they have to say for a minute. Hi, my name is Delaney Marlowe, and I'm excited for this new Unleashed program because I'm very passionate about our neighbors and how we can reach them. So my name is Chris Brisbane, and what excites me most about Unleash is getting Bibles to like the unreached people and getting it translated in their language. Hi, I'm Angela Bodanza, and I'm passionate about Unleash and reaching the next generation because I believe that they are the ones who are going to continue this legacy. So our system at home for stewardship is the STAR system. So for their chores every day, when they brush their teeth, take out the garbage, make their lunch, they get a star. And for every five stars, they get a dollar. For Unleashed, we are going to uh, make sure that monthly we tithe from this. And not only the 10%, but we decided that we were going to do 20% to do a little bit extra for the Unleashed project. 
and we can do all that we can to try and spread Christ here, but if we don't reach the next generation, then it's not going to continue. And so I think it's very important that we spend our resources reaching out to the next generation. I believe as part of CBC, we need to be lifehouses, um, bringing people in from the community and um, sharing them how to have new life in Christ together. Having previously been to Indo and seeing like how that would been, how like those people need something like that, and uh, just I'm excited about it because like a portion of what I give could be used to help that. It's so exciting to hear how our students and some of our young families are engaging, and so it's it's commitment time. It's time for us to give our commitment to the Lord. I have here uh, the stacks of the commitments that have been given this morning already. This is so encouraging. So it's our turn to add to these. So here's what we're about to do. I just want to give you some time to first just pray. This has got to be a work of God. This is something we can't manufacture. Only God can take whatever we offer him and multiply it for his kingdom, right? That's God's work. And so we just, we just tell the people what God wants to do, and then we just uh, trust the Lord to do it. And so right now, uh, the first thing we need to do is just pray. So we're going to be led here in a song that really talks about everything that God has given us is his. Just, just take it. It's his. And so as we're doing that, I encourage you, would you just pray? Would you pray that God prepares your heart, that God prepares your commitment? I'm trusting that for those of you who call CVC home, you've been praying already, and you're ready today to commit. And so just pray over this commitment. And if you're, if you're uh, coming today and you're needing to, to make your commitment today, there's a card uh, in front of you. There's on the floor in the seat in front of you. You can just fill that out, rip it in half. Keep one half for your records as a reminder for you and the Lord. And the other half, turn in the baskets in a little bit. But before you rip that card, please spend some time in prayer. And just prepare your heart for the commitment. Also, pray over our initiatives. Pray for the next generation. Pray for Pearl Island in Indonesia that needs God's word. Pray for um, the, the neighbors that we want to reach. God, show us when, show us where you want to put a campus, but we're, we want to be postured to do that. Would you pray for this first? We're going to give you a couple minutes to pray. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to have you stand when you feel ready, and we're going to pass the baskets, and we're going to put our regular offerings in there. We're going to put our commitment cards in there. If you've given your life to Christ today, put that response card in there. We're just putting it all in there. And those baskets are going to find their way up here in a minute. And I'm just going to invite whatever staff, whatever elders are in the room just to join me up here. And we're just going to dedicate these commitments. We're going to dedicate these gifts to the Lord's work, trusting Him to do what needs to be done. So right now, would you just take a couple minutes, and would you just prepare your heart for commitment, and also prepare your card for commitment. So take some time with the Lord right now. 